0: And I have clients where this has happened where they hire me and um, they have a small marketing team when they hire me and they learn a lot by working with me and then they get to the point where they don't need to hire me anymore and that's awesome like cool so that's kind of how i think about it yeah give away knowledge even when it's painful
1: welcome to humans of SaaS. i'm your host ben Wynn. and on this show i talk to entrepreneurs innovators and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share On today's show, we have Liz Willits, the number one marketer on LinkedIn. That is at least according to her mom, but seriously, Liz is an incredible marketer. She has done such an amazing job of building her brand on LinkedIn. She runs her own marketing consultancy now where she specializes in email marketing, copywriting, content marketing, demand generation. She works with customer success teams, sales teams, marketing teams. I had such a great time chatting with her. I learned a ton and I know you will as well. Enjoy. As I mentioned, I found your stuff through LinkedIn. I think it just showed up organically in my feed, and I thought it was hilarious and amazing, so I kept following you, and I've continued to love your content for a while. And then when I was sort of looking through things you've done and looking through your site, I, I mean, it just made me curious because you could be a CMO at a top tech company right now. So what is it that you love so much about doing your own thing, your own consultancy, your own posting, your own business that keeps you doing it?
0: Uh, yeah, the freedom, hundred percent the freedom. Because I, I have gotten CMO offers and turned them down. Um, is it
1: hard? Like, do you, do you consider it, or is it like an automatic? Like, no, I'm good.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I do consider it. I always have this moment of, uh, you know, like self doubt. Like, am I am I on the right path? Um, mm. And. I never long-term or have regretted it, though, and I've turned down job offers at, at companies that absolutely blew up, and if I'd taken the jobs, you know, I'd, I'd be doing very well. Um, uh, and, but I still don't regret it because, you know, there's, there's money freedom and there's time freedom, and a lot of people sacrifice time freedom for money freedom, but my goal is to have both. You know, I, I've worked in SaaS all of my software as a service, all of my career. I know how it works at a tech startup. You work a lot. And as a consultant, I can have both the, the time freedom and the money freedom. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons I really love it because for me, time is so priceless. Um, it's the most priceless thing we have. You know, you can make money, but and you can keep making money, but you can't get your time back.
1: Very true. And I mean, it's hard to find that equilibrium, though, right, because it's I agree, like money and freedom and time freedom are both fantastic. But I also think that it's it can be hard to find. both. like, it's a very challenging thing to find a spot to create a spot to find both. It's not something you stumble into. It's something you have to be really intentional about how you create. And I'm sure that at the start, you probably had less time freedom off the bat and while you were sort of building out your brand and your business. Or was it sort of from the start? You were like, great, I've got my two clients. I'm making great money, I've got all this free time now, I'm good.
0: Yeah, you know, there, there's there been ups and downs for, for sure. Um, but I would say I've had the time freedom relatively since the beginning. It was almost instantaneously different. Wow. I mean, cause I, I worked in, you know, at in-house at a tech SaaS company before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I knew a, a couple of them. And so I knew what that was like. And I had started to build up my following and my LinkedIn account before I left my job and had taken strategic steps to build up my thought leadership. Mm-hmm. So by the time I left my company, I could charge good prices for my work because I'd already built up that thought leadership. Uh, I think a lot of people, they start in consultancy um, from ground zero and like man props right. to them. That's, that's hard to do. Um, But if you can start with some thought leadership equity, it's really helpful because I could charge good prices from the moment I started my business um, because I had had, I had that thought leadership and that experience already. And um, the other thing that really helps with that was I had about an eight month, an eight month financial runway. So I um, could be picky. And say like yeah. you know I'm gonna charge the prices I I believe my my work is worth, and mm-hmm. I'm going to wait to get those clients that are that are willing to pay that because not only are the clients better when um, they're willing to pay what work is worth, but you just enjoy the work so much more. Uh, so it's like A to Z better than like someone who's trying to price gouge you on on your work and you're like making you know 25 bucks an hour and and working insane hours for them. Uh, So it was, it was pretty good from the first moment I started, but I do have, you know, days where I work, they're rare, but I work 16 hour days a few times a year. Um, So there are definitely, you know, fluctuations um, in that. I mean, a
1: a few times a year is not terrible. Like that's, I think with anything, it's, you know, way worth the trade-off. And I love that idea about, or the approach that you took or in sort of building this up before you went off on your own, like you were building your brand, you were thoughtful about it. Did you know that this was something you wanted to do eventually or was it like, hey, I didn't realize, but I've been doing all these things for the last year and I'm in this great position to go do this thing now and I can, I, I should go do it.
0: I would casually talked about entrepreneurship for many years, but it was kind of like, a, you know, an eventually thing, uh, you know, eventually I'll do this. And then I realized that the building up the thought leadership initially, the reason I started doing it was because I realized that. It really helped with my in-house career. Right. You know, when you can build thought leadership at your company and people in your company start to notice, um, you know, you're getting people listening to you and following you and people who wanna do what you are what you recommend just because of who you are um, right. and because of the content you're sharing. And so it was really helpful for getting promotions and advancements in-house. And so I'd recommend it to, even if you have no plans of going out on your own, I would recommend it because for me, it was really helpful in house. Um, so that was the initial reason I started doing it and I started to get speaking gigs because of it. And I really liked mm-hmm. doing the speaking gigs. Yeah. That was the initial reason. And then eventually I was like, why, why am I not starting my own business? Because I'd be working with marketing agencies, you know, outsourcing some of our work. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd, I, I'd, see what they produce and I'm like, okay.
1: I can do that.
0: Yeah, like I'd be fixing their work. And that's not all agencies. There are some phenomenal agencies out there. But I just realized that it's not and it's not impossible and and, and far from it.
1: No, definitely. Having proven your success at a previous company and having built that following, yeah, it sounds like you were just sort of ready to go from the start. Did you have I mean, even the I mean, you said you had eight months or so of financial runway, which is which is nice to have for sure. But was it still tough getting those first two clients or was it pretty easy to sort of reach out to contacts you had or friends in the industry or that sort of thing just to let them know? And how did you announce this? Did you do like a, a big event, a PR, press release? Say, you know, how did you let people know that this was now they could hire you?
0: Yeah, all, all good questions. So my first client, before I left my job, I landed one big contract. Uh, so I signed the contract and it was the kind of contract where I knew that like I would struggle to be working full time while, while fulfilling this contract. Um, I had another job offer at the time, too, and I'd been delaying starting my own business because of COVID, Uh, Like I had this plan to start it and then COVID hit and then I was delaying it. And then I got this job offer and then I got this contract. um, And I was like, man, I need to make a decision. What am I doing here? And I knew Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to stay where I was. You know, that was off the table. So I was either Mm -hmm. taking this job offer or starting my own business. And I had that contract and, you know, where my heart was, was of starting my own business. That was the dream. And so made that leap. It was terrifying yeah, I, caught, I talked to a couple people, like a couple mentors, like the night before I did it. And they're like, yeah, we think you should do it. Like it was kind of like in a dream state. You know, I went, I went to, I contacted my boss and I was like, hey, I need to talk to you. I was like, I'm leaving. Uh, and then that same day I turned down that job offer. Um, wow. And it was, again, one of those FOMO job offers where you're like, "Yeah, this, this would have been a dream job for me. Yeah, it was, it was still a dream job, <laughs> like, uh, and yeah, it was really hard to do and really terrifying. And, I, and there was a big part of me that was like, I'm nuts. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm insane for doing this. Um, and, you know, I've definitely had moments too. The, the thing about being out on your own is, is the fear of like the next meal, even if you're doing really well and everything's going great. There's always that moment where you're like, oh, but in two months, like I really need to line up some work. For two months from now. Work has just fallen into my lap. My LinkedIn following has been massive. For anyone yeah. who's doing B2B marketing, like I build your LinkedIn profile. I get a lot of people who just reach out to me. I have done zero sales, zero cold emails, um, zero outreach, and just have had been really busy. And again, I contribute that to the thought leadership um, on LinkedIn and and doing the speaking and building that up before i left and granted i don't have like i i have a team of freelancers who i that work with me i don't have a full-time employee right now so transparency on that i'm not like supporting a team of 10 people uh right now which would probably require some cold outreach
1: but that would even require like that would even cause i think more anxiety about the food on the table situation because then it's not just your meal that you're going to be eating hot dogs or mr noodles or whatever for x amount of time it's like now these other people rely on me so I definitely get that and like why it would be nice to be solo in that sort of situation. But I want to go back to the LinkedIn stuff because it's amazing what you've done on there. And I mean, even still at this point, you you know, you have a huge following and you continue to put out content that people engage with, makes people laugh. It's poignant when it's related to marketing. There's a lot of crap content on LinkedIn about people announcing their child their wedding you know the dog that they saw on the street that's now the ceo who was interviewing them for their next job like how do you get your stuff to really stand out from from all of that
0: i think something to realize with that is sometimes what goes viral isn't really going to be what builds your brand or gets you business i think i could probably write a post like that tomorrow and like,
1: like the crappy one or like one of your really good ones,
0: like one of the crappy ones and, okay. go, and go viral, like because yeah. going viral on LinkedIn is, is kind of Yeah, there's a lot of it's like a lot of sappy, weird crap. If you talk about, yeah, your wedding or like some weird thing, or even if you plagiarize someone else's work, like, right? You That's can, a great. It,
1: there you go. That's a lot of people's strategy.
0: It's super common on LinkedIn.
1: Have you had that happen to your work?
0: Oh yeah. Um, The first time it happened, I I was really annoyed. I was really pissed. Um, And then uh, you just kind of realize like, oh, it's insanely common. Anytime you have a viral post, people will plagiarize it. um, Wow. 100%. Um, But yeah, so one of the things I've learned is it's better to have posts that get less likes, less comments um, that really represent your brand and and the kind of work you're trying to do. Um, and then to build an audience who follow you for that very narrow bit of, of work you do than it is to go viral. And then you're like, okay, so I have this audience of all these people who have, you know, nothing in common. And now what do I do with them? Um, and also this is not really the space I even want to be in. Like, you know, I went viral for posting a picture of my wedding. Um, what am I going to do with that? Like, okay, so right. I got all these followers from that. Like, how am I going to monetize that? What, what's the point of it? Um, and so my strategy on LinkedIn is to provide a ton of value to mm-hmm. a, a narrow set of people. Help however I can by sharing what I know. Uh, make them laugh because, you know, we're marketers. We, it, there's a lot of frustrating stuff out there for us. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to laugh about when there's frustrating stuff. And then I find that when you when you do that, when you provide a ton of value people naturally come to you. Like and they they ask you to do work for them because mm-hmm. they look at you as as someone who first off um you know marketing we all know this like the theory of reciprocity when when you do something for someone they're much more likely to do something for you and that's like content marketing 101 when you're helping people out and being generous with what you know they're more much more likely to want to come to you and
1: work with you. You're how often do you post? you're posting three times three times a week, five times a week?
0: Oh it, it varies. Uh, I'm not like um, I don't have like a rule on how often I post. I, it's three to five is typically how often I post. Um, sometimes I've done more than five a week, but right now I'm in like a, a three to five range.
1: Is it ever I mean like do you plan it all at once? do you what's your process like are you jotting down notes all the time? Is it when when inspiration strikes?
0: Yeah, so I have, I jot down, first thing, jot down notes all the time. Um, So I have like, I have a Notion, uh, a Notion page where I store like all kinds of ideas. I have a notes, a note on my iPhone where I store ideas. I also have a Google doc, which I call the idea jar, where I like write down, like jot in all my ideas. And uh, some of them are like really stupid. Some of them I know are like yeah. might eventually be good. Some of them, I, at the moment I have the idea, I sit down and I write it out and flesh it out. And mm-hmm. other times I'm just like, oh, um, email marketing, subject lines, uh, this. And then like that's something I'll might flesh out later. So definitely jotting down ideas as soon as you have them. And then the best thing to do is to bulk write them. So you have one morning a week where you write the next week's posts um, and then you can just go post them because uh, at least for me, this really works because, um, you get into that writing creative mindset and it's mm-hmm. much easier to do that than to every morning be like, Oh crap, I have to write a LinkedIn post. Let me yeah. stop what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm doing like client work or yeah. client calls. And then I have to stop that and try to write. Yeah. So batching and I'm not like as good. I'm not religious about batching. Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but that is like my 2022 goal batch yeah. more. Uh, cause batching is, right. uh, is uh, the best way to do it.
1: I know it's one of those things I feel like I, I know I should be doing, but I just fail it miserably. And I'm always just running into that issue of like, other people have said this or I've talked about this or like, this isn't really new or like, I sound like a douche by like writing this. Like I'm not like you run into all, I run into all those sorts of things all the time. Personally, it's always such a hard balance and sort of the second guessing and editing and I think some of my best stuff has been stuff I've just written in like a minute where I'm like, oh, this is something that is great. And then I'll put it out. Whereas the stuff that I spend two hours on, I end up just deleting.
0: Yep. And I resonate with that so much because I felt the same way many, 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 many times. And one of the things (laughs) I've learned. Yeah. One of the things I've learned is you got to be like, you can't be too self-conscious about it. You know, I have a very sarcastic, biting sort of humor naturally, and it, it can be really good sometimes, but I've learned but don't be too aggressive with that. Uh, that's the only time I really second, second guess myself is when I'm being like right. too sarcastic. I, I, I've just realized that we, we all have these doubts about it and just keep posting. Like some posts are going to do terrible, but my motto is just keep posting. I have posts, you know, I have like uh, 43,000 followers now, but I have posted like do nothing. And, um, wow. I'm okay with that. That's, uh, you know, that's what you have to be. That's the mentality that has really helped me like, don't let mood, your mood dictate whether you do it or not. Just do it, and some stuff's gonna be crap, and that's just that's just the way it is, and that's okay, um, because you get way you get so much better, like when mm-hmm. you just consistently keep doing it, um, and you get you write fewer crap posts.
1: That's uh, it's definitely a good point. What would you say your biggest LinkedIn pet peeve is? Uh, this is where I'm pulling out that sarcastic uh, part of your brain to you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> i mean i hate when people and i like i don't want to attack anyone with this so i'm trying to think how how i say this but i don't like posts that the intention is for the writer to go viral but they seem like they're trying to help people but it's very Ah. clear that the writer is just trying to go viral
1: self-promotion masquerading as um generosity or something like that is probably a
0: yes that that's what bothers me about it like okay if you want to do self-promotion totally cool but don't pretend you're doing it for somebody else like uh you know uh, we're marketers right we we know how to sell we know we have to do self-promotion every now and again that's fine just don't pretend it's about helping people that that just rubs me the wrong way
1: Uh, i definitely agree i mean it's it's honestly it's been the approach that has been hard to sell sometimes, but that has actually worked out really well for me at Catalyst before where, like, I don't I mean, feedback I've gotten fair enough. I don't talk enough about our product. I'm just like, if people like us, they'll buy from us. Like, that's my philosophy. But like, I get it. We can't always be like that. We've to talk about the product. So um, what I've done before is I'll do like an event or something fun and I'll have like one slide and I'll be like, this is my obligatory slide, because the whole point of this event was so that I could let you know that we have this feature or we have this integration. Here's the slide. Here's three bullet points about it. Everyone got it. Great. And then we go into the fun thing that has nothing to do with the product. But I did that like a couple months ago and it led to like an immediate sale within like two weeks So the It was incredible. And so I I like that strategy of just like calling a spade a spade and not pretending like you're posting or talking about something that is really, you know, has this ulterior motive.
0: Right. I think that's like brilliant because, you know, one of the things, that i think consumers are getting really tired of and that's happened with the rise of content marketing is is pretending something's educational when it's really promotional right. like we've all been on those webinars that are an hour long and you you get on there and you realize wait a minute like this is just entirely promotional masquerading as educational yeah it's really refreshing and a, a way to stand out when you can just be open and frank of your audience, treat them like adults, treat them respectfully and be like, hey, like, um, you know, I'm here to provide a lot of value and to be really helpful to you, but also like, hey, we have this product we sell. Um, and yeah. I think because of the fact that you're here, that I could probably help you out. Like, here's here's what you need to know about it. All right, now into the educational stuff. I, I think that's like the new thing in marketing right now that's gonna catch on in 2022 is honest and open and real marketing. Um, um and uh because it's gonna be really refreshing it it just is refreshing when everyone's uh being a little bit a lot of markers are being a little bit shady
1: i'm here for the shade and i think i mean i it all came to a head i think with uh, in a big way with covid where everyone started getting all the we're here we're in this together emails and like we're you know i'm glad to know that sephora is with me as i am home through COVID. like it's all these things that are like yeah like that's not it's a little pushed a little too far and it was a little bit cringe and so I would love if your prediction is right. And we get more into this genuine treating each other like sentient adults in terms of how we communicate on mass.
0: Yeah, I, I hope that's where it's going. I think with with the Internet and like, you know, how wise consumers are becoming because they have mm-hmm. so many resources at, at their fingertips like that is the way that marketers need to go because like, I don't like it when people, are, marketers are tricking people in general. But now I think it's just going to not work as well. And so even the marketers who just don't really care if they trick people, they're going to have to start transitioning too, um, because consumers are wise. Like, we, they have their resources at their fingertips. Uh, and um, if you're selling something that's BS, they can Google it and find out. Like, one of the things Very that quickly. really frustrated me was um, this Black Friday season, not all companies but many were doing just really shady things. Uh, one thing in particular that really bugs me is they um, jack up the prices like days before Black Friday.
1: Right, of course. And then they
0: have a sale or they sell, you know, older versions of a product uh, that they right. couldn't sell years ago and they're stuck in their warehouse and they're kind of presenting them as if they're new. Right. Or, um, you know, uh, one that just happened to me yesterday Yesterday was like, I, I had been watching a brand I love, um, their products to see if they would have a sale. They didn't have a sale Black Friday, Cyber Cyber Monday. And i have been waiting to buy stuff to see if they were gonna have a Black Friday sale. And so when they didn't have the sale, I just bought the stuff. And then uh, just yesterday, they sent me a 25% off my entire purchase coupon. And i'm like really like okay so you didn't hit your black friday numbers right and now you're sending a coupon but you're not thinking about the consumer experience here Um, if you're a consumer who bought during black friday that's really frustrating
1: today's show is brought to you by catalyst software the fastest growing customer success platform on the market Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalyst today. To learn more, visit catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out catalyst.io to learn more. In terms of how you communicate with your cu- with your clients, with your customers, cuz obviously, you know, we're we're a customer success platform so well, um, you know, selfishly I'd love to be just focused on external B2B SaaS marketing the whole time. I'm curious, like if you, this is something that you carry over in terms of how you communicate with your clients and how you retain them, like, is this approach of, you know, brutal honesty and um, like really being candid and inserting humor? And like, is that all stuff that you carry over into into that? And is that like why they're hiring you? Or do you ever do you have sort of a, a different mode in terms of marketing Liz and then like Customer client retention, Liz.
0: Yeah, I would say I'm very similar. I'm not sarcastic with my clients um, because usually <laughs> that, when I that I'm costs being... extra. Yeah, that costs extra. Yeah, <laughs> well they don't want they don't want to deal with that. Uh, but usually the people I'm sarcastic with, or or the things I'm sarcastic about are um, you know things my clients would never do anyway. They're all right. awesome, and I'm not just saying that because they might be listening. Yeah, I think one of the things that really helps me in my customer approach is that yeah, I am real, and um, you know, one of the things that I I believe in wholeheartedly is A/B testing. And so if a client like looks at my copy I've written and they're a little bit like unsure about it mm-hmm. um, because the copy I write is different from what a lot mm-hmm. of uh, brands write, I'll be like, hey, let's A/B test it. Like let's A/B test it against your control. If it doesn't win. We don't go with it. Uh, just being really frank with them, like, hey, like in my experience, my version is gonna win, uh, but it might not. And like, you know, never, you never know how an audience is gonna react to copy. And I'm all for A/B testing it. And if I can't get you significant increases and, and better results, then I'll write a different version. Yeah, just being frank and honest with your clients and um, understanding their doubts and fears, um, and being like, hey, like I totally get it. You know, here's how we can, here's how like we can minimize those fears. A-B testing is great because um, you can do that with a small sample size. You know, it, it helps to eliminate fears. So I think being yeah, being really real and honest, and then educating, you know, I don't really, I don't feel like I ever have a sales call. I feel like I just have like content marketing calls where I'm talking about my process and why I do what I do um, and how mm-hmm. it's different from what other people do and why it works and i'm just educating on that and then um, people find that appealing because it's, it's i'm not selling them i'm not being salesy and pushy i'm educating them while i'm talking to them and then right. like oh cool that's your process like i i want to i want i want us to be involved with that it sounds awesome so yeah
1: it's awesome and do you establish when you're coming in okay we're our our open rates are shit they're 5% you know we need to get them above 25% like, are you taking down sort of these goals, specific goals and then tracking against that sort of stuff with clients on like a spec- like regular basis? Like, is it that sort of thing with very specific outcomes and metrics, or is it more like we're in- engaging you, just you know, we know you're a pro at this. Please help us improve our stuff, and then sort of an open, you know, what I'm asking is it?
0: Yeah, I hear, I hear <laughs> what you're saying. Is yeah, it very
1: like... specific, or is it sort of just open to interpretation? We need to improve in general.
0: It depends on the client because I work with some startups who really don't have um, baselines or um, you know metrics to work from. Like they're right. like, "Hey, we don't have an email marketing strategy. Um, right. Can you help us launch it?" And so for them, basically, I'm, I'm basing everything off benchmarks. So if we're mm. not hitting benchmarks, and that's a problem, you know, like if it's a five percent open rate, that's a massive problem. <laughs> like it should be more like thirty <laughs> percent upwards especially for a startup, because usually a startup, they don't have this email list that's five years old and um, has really unengaged subscribers on it. So for clients like that, it's more like, I base things off of benchmarks and hitting those benchmarks. For other clients who do have benchmarks, it's about beating the control. So if they have a control, uh, or basically whatever they're doing now, it's about Mm -hmm. beating that uh, and beating it significantly. And I, I care less about open rates now. Open rates have to be solid so that you can have good email deliverability, but I care as long as you're reaching those benchmarks. I care less about open rates and more about uh, sales, retention, mm-hmm. churn when it comes to SaaS. Yep. Uh, so, for instance, if I'm working with a client on a home page, uh, and their conversion rate is two percent, my goal might be to get it to three percent or like a thirty percent increase. My my number one goal of clients is to make them more money. Um, yeah at the end and, of the day
1: that's that's all yeah. that matters really
0: I, I and this is easy i mean it's easier in sas because if you can increase their conversion rates by a fraction of a percentage that can be millions of dollars depending on the SaaS company and so my number one goal is to make them money and make what they pay me a blip on the right. radar because of how much they make off of it um so yeah i, I while open rates are important you know, as far as deliverability and making sure you're maintaining those benchmarks, I care more about like the sales they're getting um, sure. and and conversion.
1: And you mentioned something interesting, which was churn. Like, how does your how does content marketing or the work that you do impact churn?
0: Yeah, so that would be the copy side of things. So one of the things I do a lot for SaaS technology companies is uh, email onboarding series. Mm. And uh, those are great for reducing churn. Uh, because the ultimate goal of an email onboarding series is to take this new trial user or this new customer, if you don't have a trial, and mm-hmm. get, in, get them to activate and engage with the product. Because with, with SaaS products, if, if you can get the customer sticky and using the product, their churn decreases significantly. If you can get the product to become a part of their life and habitual, they're very unlikely to churn. And so that these onboarding series, they control what happens um, in the first 10 days after someone signs up for a trial. Um, The first 10 days are critical. Um, First four days are super critical. Um, And then ultimately, like if it's a 30 day trial, it might be the first 30 days. So it's an email experience uh, where the goal is to get the person to that aha moment where Mm -hmm. they realize this product, oh, like, this is what it does. This is how it makes my life better. Right. And uh, that really helps with reducing churn, increasing retention, increasing lifetime value. Um, And uh, a lot of people have let their onboarding series slip. It's such a big opportunity. Um, But a lot of companies let that slip or they're like – You know pushing the wrong things pushing too much down people's throats the wrong things down their throats or they just like have a welcome email and then there's nothing else
1: yeah um and
0: so that's where those email onboarding series make a big difference um in in and retention
1: i think that copywriting and copy editing are it's like one of the most underrated skills and and focuses in SaaS companies like it's so ridiculously pivotal because a good email like let's say at onboarding like everyone knows you know churn starts at onboarding like if they're not if they don't start using the product then they're definitely not going to get any value like it's literally the the, one of the most key aspects and the copy can make or break the difference between the subject line could have to do with whether or not they open the email and the time of day that it's sent and then the format of the email itself how many ctas there are and where they are and the wording that's used like all of that like is having going to have a direct impact on whether or not they engage and go to that next step. And that's true for, you know, whether they're going to fill out forms on your website and request a demo, whether they're going to sign up for your event, whether they're going to, you know, I don't know, use the new feature, whatever it is. And there's so much lazy copy out there. Uh, you've probably done it before. I felt a little guilty after, but it was a company that was trying to sell me something and I went to their site and there was like a flagrant typo just on the front page. And I was like, how could I, and it was a fintech company. And I was like, how could I possibly oh. ever trust you with my banking information when you spelt apartment wrong or something like that? I can't remember if it was the word apartment. I never, they fixed it and I never got a note back. And I was like, uh, never gonna use you guys. Yeah,
0: that's that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's especially in FinTech, like that's a high trust situation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but copy is so important.
0: Copy is vital and the companies that are catching on to conversion copy and what it can do for their company, they like it. It's a, it's a difference maker. Like you can change nothing about your product, mm-hmm. nothing about your offer, nothing about your audience, and you just change the copy, you can double your conversion rates. And again, first, yeah, it's nuts. Uh, and and for a SaaS company, that's massive. It's that's huge. massive. Like, you know, for the cost of acquisition, like to just be able to double your conversion rates uh from your home page like man yeah. like it doesn't even it doesn't even matter what you pay the copywriter you know that's just uh in sas that's just such a difference maker
1: yeah if you can increase demo requests from yeah of course like it's it's the biggest or or downloads or whatever the pro the up process is and it's amazing to think that you can do that just by switching up the wording but yeah. people have proven it and you continue to prove it obviously that that's why you're still in business why your business is growing is because you've been able to do that so successfully
0: yeah yeah it's best feeling for me like that's my yeah that's my number one goal of clients Uh, i would be very dissatisfied if i didn't have if i didn't walk away from a client and have uh, helped them make more money or reach their business goals whatever they might be um that's that should be any good copywriter any good conversion copywriter's goal um like there's brand copy which is Mm -hmm. a little bit fluffier but when it comes to conversion copy, a conversion copywriter's goal should be to make you more money. And like maybe that sounds callous, but we're, for a business yeah. to succeed, even if you have a really important mission, you need to be making money, unless you're a nonprofit. But
1: then you're then you're writing grants, which are also you know yeah. incredibly challenging and a unique skill set, and you know you still need to make money that way. So It's, True. Uh, it's a good point. What what has been your most successful uh, effort to date in terms of whether it's conversion or it's signups or whatever the goal was, what would you say your biggest success to date has been?
0: Uh, I rewrote a homepage for one client. Yeah. That like doubled their conversion rates and helped them lead to like another funding round. Um, That was really huge. And I I love that team. So like, and I love their product. Um, So it just, you know, makes my day to be able to, it makes my year to to be able to do something like that for, um, You know a company where you're like wow like they have such a kick-ass product and they have like such a great team um and they really just need especially for startups like you know they have a timeline and they they have to they have to be careful with their burn rate like and Mm -hmm. and and that's stressful for the founders like you're like crap when am I going to run out of money um so to be able to make that difference is um it's huge and one of the reasons I love my work
1: was there anything pivotal that you changed about the page? Like, because I guarantee that every marketer and tech person listening is looking at the, also the company's homepage that they're look, that they that they work at, and they're thinking what that what they should be looking for to see if they're doing right or wrong. Like, was there anything in particular you attribute that to? There's
0: a couple things, um, various few things that 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 I, I attribute to. One um, mm-hmm. is headline. And in the hero section is so important. Um, so I changed up the headline. Uh, but the other thing was um, this client in particular, their hero image was an image of like a smiling guy. Um, okay. A lot of people do that. Like they have like, you know, some smiling person in their hero, which sometimes can work for conversion rates. But I we switched it out to a GIF of um, the product. Because the product, what it does is really, really cool. And so it was a GIF that just basically in, in a few seconds visualizes what the product does. And then between that and the headline switch up, I think that's what really made the difference in, in conversion rates. The headline's so important for getting people to read, that's your hook. And then we just really filled the page with way more UI um, It was lacking on UI, um, Mm -hmm. uh, like actual visual uh, visual of the product, Um, and we just like filled it with visual of the product, um, and a lot of gifs, and so it really made it easy. And that's the challenge in SaaS. Like, you have something that could be complex, and -hmm. you need to quickly show people the most important value of that complex thing. Right. Um, without forcing them to watch a forty-five minute demo, ideally, like if you want to get them to even sign up for your demo, you need to first show them the value, and ideally sure. visually. A lot of SaaS websites, like they force you to go through like a sales demo before you can even see the product, and like right. for me, like for me, for some consumers love that, right? Like they they really want to watch a demo and they want to have that hand holding, but for people like me, and there are many people like me. I'm not watching a forty minute demo. I'm not yeah. getting on a, a call with your sales team. I don't have time for that because if I get on a forty minute demo of you guys and then I realize, oh, wait, like you don't have this one thing I really need. Like, my goodness, like that's a huge uh, you know time or a waste of time. Right. I think one of the things that SaaS companies could do that would make a really big difference on their home pages and on their websites mm-hmm. is better UI imagery and not just like, a long demo video, but GIFs or images of the UI that show its unique value props.
1: What are your thoughts on sort of giving away Knowledge, right? Like, obviously, it's part of how it's part of your LinkedIn strategy. It's part of how you've gotten the clients you have. But is there a certain point through which you're like, okay, I'm gonna share this kind of stuff, and I'll talk a little bit about this, but you know, I keep it surface level, or I only go so to here. Like, what's your philosophy on sharing your your perspective and your knowledge?
0: Give away knowledge, even when it's painful, even wow. when it's something where you're like, wow, like, man, I kind of want to keep this a secret because. Maybe people won't hire me because if they know all this, they can just do it themselves. Give that away, because and I and I and I fight this sometimes too. Where I have that exact feeling like, wow, like I've struck on something that's gold. Like, do I really want to give it away? Um, It's that insane value that like will bring people to you, and often too, you know, someone can use that value, but one maybe they don't have the time to implement this themselves. And two, right. maybe they wanna hire someone who's done it a hundred times. And so there's an extra value of actually hiring someone. Um, but then like an analogy that I'll, I'll use is, um, there's a company that I follow um, for copy advice and they do like weekly, uh, they're called copy hackers. Um, they do weekly tutorials, they're like an hour long, they're like live webinars or they're 20 minutes long. And um, they write all these blog posts, they give away all this free stuff, and it's insanely valuable. But they also sell this course called Copy School. Mm -hmm. And at the time that um, I bought it, it was a few thousand dollars. And even though like, I was pretty sure like, hey, I could probably go through the materials and find a lot of this for free, still bought the course because um, like, and it was so worth it because you just you learned so much more through a course than just individual materials. Um, but because having that closer experience with the company, like I learned so much more through that. Um, and that's true of um, hiring. Uh, marketing agencies and marketing consultants like you can read their stuff and you'll learn so much (laughs) but you know how you can even learn more by like hiring them and getting to work with them closely all the time right um, and getting to see their work firsthand and that's awesome like if I have a client and I have clients where this has happened where they hire me and um, they have a small marketing team when they hire me and they learn a lot by working with me and then they get to the point where they don't need to hire me anymore and that's awesome like cool. Um, now I still think they could hire me for certain projects and we would do awesome work together. Um, but they don't necessarily need to, like they're okay. Um, and they've learned a lot from the process. So that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. Give away knowledge, even when it's painful.
1: That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Especially the painful part. Like I think a lot of people are on bored with the first half, but then, you know, I'll talk to people and they're, I can see when they start to get hesitant about uh, what they're sharing or they don't want to send something over or whatever. And, and it, Yeah. But, but I think it's a great philosophy and, and it reminds me of a conversation I had with a guest last year and he was, he was mentioning that uh, the quote that he said that stuck with me was he was saying that he gets hired for how he knows things, not what he knows. And so it's sort of like, if it was a thing where anyone could make it and then use it forever, then it's sort of like, okay, great. Like they should be able to have it, but they're not going to hire you based on that one slide template that you made. They're going to hire you based on way that you think that led you to create that because you're then going to bring that and apply that to the work that they hire you to do and yeah so i think that makes a lot of sense but it's definitely a struggle for for a lot of folks i wanted to ask you sort of branching off that which is a discussion we have at catalyst a lot which is about gating content you know because obviously we're we're trying to continue growing our email list and we want to get it to hundreds of thousands of people and all this kind of stuff but you know, are people going to do that organically or, you know, we keep creating these valuable free content downloads, but we're asking for their email. What's your philosophy on gating content?
0: Great question. And there's a lot of debate on this. Um, you know, there are certain people who are like gate, nothing gating is dead. And then there are other people who are, you know, want to gate everything. I would say I'm somewhat in the middle. I think if you're going to gate something, it needs to be, Really high value, mm-hmm. uh, and there also needs to be a benefit to your consumer of gating it. I think that's the sweet spot. So, for instance, like it's, if you have a really great email newsletter,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's awesome because uh, it's just naturally gated. You don't even have to have like anything you uh, give them. You just have this, them. right? I mean, they just you have an awesome email newsletter, so you are giving them insane value in exchange for their email address, and so like who cares? They gave you their email address, like if you're giving them that kind of insane value. I think the annoyance with giving up the email address comes from companies who either A have crap content, trick people into giving them their email address, give them the crap content, and then like push sales down, down their throat. Right. Or the, yeah. the, the people who originally at one point gave them good content, it eventually deteriorates into like them just pushing sale, being salesy of them and pushing that down their throat. But uh, at least for me, and I think this is true of, of many consumers, if you can give up your email address and in exchange for that email address, that, that company or that person is sending you valuable content all the time right to your inbox exactly where you want it because you mm-hmm. love their content, you know what's the problem with that? Like No one has a problem with that. It's just um, bad marketers have wrecked gating. And I think gating is um, important because of... And it adds a value to the end user when you are sending that good content because you can put it right in their inbox and on social and in other places, they'll they'll miss it. Um, so yeah, I guess Great I would point. say with gating, I'm, I'm all for gating, but it should be good content and um, there should be a benefit to your consumer or your end user of giving up their email address. Example A of that is doing an email course. If you can do... Uh, take your, your ebook, break it out into a really high-value email course, probably add some extra content and value to it, then again, that, that makes a, there a reason for them to give up their email address. Uh, it's to get the, the daily email course and you're taking this 30-page ebook maybe and spreading out into um, lessons that they can consume in five minutes a day. And so then it's, it's a value to that end user
1: so which what's the course that you're building right now or you're about to release you have a waitlist open right now right
0: yeah it's a linkedin course
1: okay perfect i need to sign up for that because i got your um because i was going to say a great example of just sort of that lead-in is what you have now which is this ebook on um, getting above 25 percent open rates on all of your emails and it's like a value value right off the bat leads people in and it's a direct like yes i will get that to get this content and i get value out of the first email and then I think I subscribed a week ago. I haven't gotten pestered with like three emails about being like, hey, does Catalyst need a copywriter? Like here's here's my stuff to hire me. So I've appreciated that. And I think it works really well.
0: Yeah, I, I never have sent a sales email from my email list. You know, that may change at some point or another, um, depending on how I change my services. But yeah, I want uh, anyone on my email list to be like, 75% or more, ideally 90% of everything they get from me is just like really awesome stuff um, that that helps them out. If like if I create a course that I'm selling, if they're not interested, they can opt out of that that like sales so section of sales emails if they want. But also they're kind of like, who cares? Like she she gives me valuable content all year long. One sales email, I'll just ignore it if, right. if they're not interested. Email marketing is truly a relationship, mm-hmm. in that if you can build up that relationship by being helpful. Like, yep. it's like your family like yeah. when you do something <laughs> that annoys one of them they're not just gonna be like "We'll see ya because you have yeah. this uh great relationship with them and uh, they're like well okay they, they've helped me all year long like i'm not gonna like mark this email as spam because it's a, a sale email
1: for sure yeah you build up the social capital sort of by providing that and then you can cash in occasionally if you need to you ask something from your community um I mean, I, I'm. I know we're we're running short on time, but I, I mean, when it comes to what's next for you, like, what are you most excited about that that's coming up that you're working on?
0: Yeah, I, I, 2022. One of my goals is to do more courses, um, mm-hmm. and to share more of what I know, um, in a more formal setting, uh, and the things that I've learned via my clients and the work I've done in sas tech. So that's something I'm looking forward to. I'm. Um, really excited to keep you know, working with SaaS tech companies. I just love that. Uh, so keep doing what I'm doing, launch some courses in 2022, um, really up the amount of content I'm putting out because I love putting out content. Yeah, I do a little bit of angel investing in SaaS companies. So I wanna oh, nice. keep, keep that up. Uh, again, because you get to, when you invest in a company, it's really great to have that close relationship with the team and to be invested in them, um, literally and yeah. figuratively.
1: That's awesome. I love what you at the very start top of the episode you talked about money freedom and time freedom. But I think there's something else. There's a third one that's really important that you didn't mention, but we've talked about is creative freedom. And mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing I'm getting from you that like is extremely fulfilling. Like it's one thing to have the time and the money, but if you were doing menial work or you were doing work that isn't stimulating to you, I don't even that probably wouldn't be worth it. And you'd want to look for that fulfillment somewhere. I I think, you know, you and I are very similar in that, like, in terms of like, that's the that's what gets me out of bed in the morning is like being able to do creative stuff during the day and, and creative copy. And it terrifies my CEO sometimes when I'm writing some of these taglines and some of these things, but that's what what I get my joy from. And so, you know, is that something where you think that companies are scared to go these days? Or have you been able to find a lot of clients that do want the creative stuff? And that's why they're hiring you?
0: Yeah, I think it, that's a really interesting question. And um, it was one of the reasons that I got out of the corporate world. Not all companies are like that. But there are um, companies who are very cautious when it comes to marketing. And I wanted to like I think marketing that succeeds is marketing that pushes boundaries and does what others aren't doing and and it's not safe and it makes you uncomfortable um and i read an article about that recently that like if marketing is too comfortable and too safe it's probably not going to perform if you want to perform it should kind of make you a little nervous right before you launch it and not not being stupid like you don't want like a you don't want a like a nightmare on your hands a pr nightmare nothing stupid but like pushing the boundaries being edgy um, being humorous, doing like marketing copy is so safe 99% of the time. Uh, and so I agree. Like I, and I think, um, one, I, I attract clients who agree with me on that. Uh, and some of my mm-hmm. clients, they'll make me, they'll, they'll, they'll be nervous about stuff. And yeah. that's where my line is always like, Hey, let's AB test it. Right. Ultimately your goal is to make more money. Let's AB test yeah. this thing. If it doesn't make you more money, we won't do it. Yeah, but I also look for clients. Like if I find a client who's too corporate and too rule oriented, and you know, I bring up you know how I work, and they're like, oh well, we can't really do that. Like I probably won't work with them. Uh, and I love that freedom to be able to say no to stuff. Um, and I've definitely had people who've come to me and they they want to do stuff, which I'm like, uh, no, like that's shady. I'm not going to do that. And it's wonderful to be able to say no. I do love that creative freedom and that I. Can work on just stuff I love. Like I can say yeah. no to anything that's boring, anything I don't like. Like I, and I think that's one of the reasons I just love my job is, I work f- with for me, and everyone's different, but for me, yeah. the coolest clients on the coolest projects, um, doing stuff I love, and yeah, like like you're saying, like it's, I don't know, it's just it's just night, like it's night and day. I can't imagine, like working any other way
1: that's awesome no i love it I, I love your stuff everyone listening should find you on linkedin follow you subscribe to your newsletter and i'm excited to check out this course when Ooh. is it launching
0: oh, hopefully <laughs> january february uh okay. tbd but uh hopefully early early 2022
1: amazing awesome well liz can't, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and spending the time with me
0: yeah thanks for having me ben this was really fun
1: Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.